So we started a series a couple weeks ago called Victory, and today, like I said, we are going to jump right into the passage. So uh, this series called Victory, we started uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, it is um, all about uh, having victory in our lives in the battles that we face. Uh, and so we face all kinds of battles. Uh, we face physical battles uh, in, our, in our health. Uh, we face uh, battles in our minds. We face battles in our hearts. We face battles with sin and, and temptation. We face all kinds of battles in our lives. And what we find is that we are kind of, we're pretty powerless on our own against these battles that we're facing. And we need God to help us win the battles in our lives. And so that's what this series is all about. It's all about how God uh, won battles for his people, won victory for his people uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so that's what we've been talking about for a couple weeks now. Two weeks ago, we started the series by talking about when the Israelites left Egypt and they walked out of Egypt uh, after 10 plagues. Um, they came to the sea. And scholars are debate whether it was the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds. Either way, they came to the sea and they couldn't cross it. And then the Egyptian army started bearing down on them from behind. And the people were terrified. They were scared. But Moses, God working through Moses, raised his staff over the water and the waters parted. And the people walked through on dry ground. It was a miracle. God won victory for his people that day in a miraculous way. And the seas, when they closed, they closed in on the Egyptians, and the Egyptians drowned, and they, they never saw them again. And we saw that how uh, God is the one who gives victory in our lives. God is the one who wins the battle. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't the staff. It was the power of God. Last week, we looked at Exodus chapter 17, and a, and a battle between the Israelites and the Amalekites. And the Amalekites were the first uh, people group to, uh, to uh, attack the Israelites after they left Egypt. And the Amalekites were bigger and stronger and more uh, heavily prepared and, and armed uh, for the battle than the Israelites were. And yet the Israelites won the battle because God gave them the victory. And we saw last week how God gives us victory so that God gets glory. God gives us the victory so that God gets the glory. I think that is so important to remember in our lives that when we face battles and when we're facing those difficult times and those difficult days and we're fighting those battles, when God gives us victory, we have to give God the glory for what he's done. Now, uh, we also saw that uh, we need other people in our lives to help us win victory. Uh, that when Moses was up on the hill, uh, when his arms were raised, the, the Israelites were winning. But when his arms were lowered, the Amalekites were winning. And so Moses' brother Aaron and, and Moses' aide, her, H-U-R, uh, they held Moses' arms up for the rest of the day. And then they were able to, and the Israelites won the battle. But it wasn't Moses' arm, it wasn't his staff, it wasn't the sword, it was the power of God that won the victory for them. Because when God gives the victory, God gets the glory. And that's the purpose of our lives, to bring God glory. Okay, so uh, we also saw that we need other people just like Moses needed Aaron and her to hold his arms up. We need other people to hold our arms up in the battles that we face. We need people to help us uh, overcome the battles and overcome the struggles that we face in our lives. Today, we are going to fast forward uh, a little bit uh, in Israel's journey to Joshua 
uh, the book of Joshua, chapter 6 is where we're going to be. So if you brought a Bible, uh, grab your Bible and turn to Joshua 6. If you didn't bring one, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 172 of that Bible. It's on page 172 of the Bible in the chair in front of you. Uh, you can also follow along. We'll put the words up on the screen here in just a moment. Uh, also, you can follow along in the GFCC app. If you haven't gotten the app yet, you can go to the G your app store, search for GFCC, and download the app, and you can follow along with the scripture passages. So I want to set the scene for you before we get into the word. I want to set the scene of where we are and how we got to where we are uh, today. So in at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses passed away. Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land because Moses disobeyed God and he took the credit for something that God did. So Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land, but he was allowed to uh, see the promised land, to overlook the promised land, to see uh, where the Israelites would be going. Then Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1, and Moses' top eight since he was a youth, Joshua was installed as the leader of the Israelites. And so Joshua begins to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Um, in Joshua chapter 2, uh, Joshua sends a couple of spies into the city of Jericho. Now Jericho was a very large, uh, excuse me, city, 400 yards by 200 yards. It was a very big city for its day. Uh, and it had huge fortified walls. Uh, they may have been as high as 50 feet uh, and 20 feet thick. So 50 foot high walls, 20 foot thick walls um, that were built on a, uh, they were mud bricks built on a foundation of bedrock. So you got these huge thick walls in this really big city, uh, lots of people living inside. Uh, and so Joshua sends two spies into the city of Jericho to scout out the land to see uh, what was going on. So these two spies go into Jericho uh, and they are housed uh, by a prostitute named Rahab. And uh, she hides the spies in her house. Um, and not only that, but the king of Jericho sends word to Rahab bring out the spies. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so she hides the spies and then she helps them escape. And the only thing she asks is that when the Israelites come and the, the entire city of Jericho was terrified of the Israelites, but when the Israelites come to conquer the city, that they spare her and her family. And the spies tell her, yes, we will do that. We will spare you and your family. Uh, so in Joshua chapter three and uh, Joshua chapter four, we read about how, um, the Israelites had to cross the Jordan River to get into the promised land. So the Jordan River was at flood stage, meaning that the, the waters uh, were, uh, were very, very wide. They couldn't walk across. They couldn't swim across. They needed God to part the waters again. Uh, here's an important principle from this story in Joshua chapters 3 and 4, is that God told the, uh, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, where the Ten Commandments were held and some of the manna that they ate in the wilderness, uh, God tells the Israelites to, uh, the priests, to go and put their feet in the water. And as they carry the Ark down to the water, and as soon as their toes touch the water, the waters part. That, that is an act of faith. And sometimes in our lives, when we are facing a Jordan River moment and we need God to part those waters, sometimes we need to step into the water first. We need to take a step of faith for those waters to part. That's exactly what happened when the Israelites put their feet in the water. The waters parted. They walked through on dry ground to the other side. At a place called Gilgal, in the beginning of Joshua chapter 5, God tells the Israelite men that they need to be circumcised as an outward sign that they were his people. The, 
Gentiles of the people around them were all uncircumcised, did not belong to God. And so God tells the Israelite men uh, who had been wandering in the desert for 40 years after the entire generation before them died off, that they needed to be circumcised as the outward sign of being God's people. And so that's what they did at Gilgal. That brings us to Joshua chapter 5. I know it's, a lot, it's like drinking from a fire hose. I get it. So uh, Joshua chapter 5, we're in verses 13 through 15. And uh, we're going to talk about the fall of Jericho. It's a great story. I think you're going to like it. So Joshua chapter 5. Let's look at verses 13 through 15. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, I don't know what the commander of the Lord's army looks like, but it's got to be impressive, right? He's standing there with a drawn sword, and I don't know if it's like a, like a, a, a big metal sword or if it's like a flaming sword, like a lightsaber or something, you know, like the world's first lightsaber. It'd be kind of awesome to see. But it's like Joshua's standing there, and all of a sudden, he's approached by this man as the commander of the Lord's army. I got this picture of this huge angel, you know, with the lightsaber and, and just... What does that look like? And if I'm Joshua, I'm shaking in my, in my sandals. You know, what is going on here? And what does the Lord want from me? Take off your shoes because where you're standing is holy ground. You are standing in the presence of the Lord. Whew. Whew. Good stuff. Well, Joshua does so. And then the angel gives him, the commander of the Lord's army, gives him a message. Look at verses uh, 1 through 5 of chapter 6. We get to, the, the, to Jericho. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. So the people of Jericho are scared of the Israelites. This is a ragtag group of people who have no formalized army. They, don't have, they hardly have any weapons. Uh, they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years without a home. And yet the entire town of Jericho is scared of them. Verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Notice what God says. I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Verse three, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns. Those were called shofars. Seven uh, priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Here's the thing about God's battle plan. Sometimes it is so unconventional that it defies logic and explanation. What in the world? We're going to go up against a city with walls that are 50 feet high and 20 feet thick. And we're going to march around it once a day. Now, again, the, the town of Jericho is about 400 yards uh, by 200 yards. So it's, it's bigger than a football stadium. All right. And so they're going to be marching around this city once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they're going to march around it seven times. And once they get around the city on the seventh time, they're going to blow some horns and they're going to shout and the walls are going to come tumbling down. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So in verses 6 through 14, we read that that's exactly what the Israelites do. They march around the city once per day for six days. Get to verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Verse 20, when the trumpets sounded, the army shouted and all and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys, except for Rahab's family. Everything else was completely destroyed. Everything else was completely what, what the, the Old Testament says is devoted to the Lord. Now, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for devoted is the word harem. And this word harem uh, literally means to devote or to destroy completely, that everything in the city was to be devoted to God. Don't take anything that doesn't belong to you. Everything goes to God. Don't let anyone live except Rahab and her family. Don't let anyone live. Completely destroy the city. Completely tear it apart except for Rahab and her family. Now, here's the interesting thing about Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. She was a Gentile. Okay, she was not a Jew. Uh, she was been considered unclean because of her profession and because of her ethnicity. Uh, yet in the New Testament, Rahab is considered a person of great faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's sometimes known as the faith chapter. And it's a, a, a chapter of the Bible all about people of great faith, especially from the Old Testament. People like Abraham and Isaac and Moses and Joshua. And yet right there in the middle of this list of people of great faith from the Old Testament is a prostitute, a Gentile prostitute named Rahab. And not only that, but Rahab is also mentioned in Jesus's genealogy in the Gospel of Matthew. That she is part of Jesus's family tree. A Gentile prostitute is part of, you think you have skeletons in your closet? Jesus had a Gentile prostitute in his. It's crazy. She was the, the, the mother uh, of Boaz, the, mother, uh, the father of Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David. King David. His grandmother, great-grandmother, was a prostitute. Crazy, right? Anyway, so uh, look at, let's close out this passage. Look at verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men had done, uh, who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. 
Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So the Lord is with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. This story is so uh, important when it comes to the strongholds we have in our lives. And, and there are different strongholds that have taken place in our lives I want to talk about for the balance of our time. Uh, but I, the first thing I want you to know uh, is that God's plan to overcome strongholds in your life will rarely be conventional. The battle plan that God instituted for tearing down the walls of Jericho, I mean, he could have done anything he wanted. He could have sent down, he could have dropped tanks by parachute right in the middle and just blown down the walls if he wanted to. Uh, he could have uh, created battering rams for them to, to, to batter into the, the walls of Jericho. But no, God's plan was unconventional and, and honestly uh, is a little weird. This plan is a little weird. We're going to march around the city once per day. And then we're going to do it seven times on the seventh day. And the walls are going to come down. Why? Why was God's plan successful? Because the people obeyed God. Because the people were obedient. They did what God commanded them to do. And God came through. And he tore down the walls. Why? Because when God gives the victory, God gets the glory. And, that, it, and the entire story is all about the glory of God and bringing glory to God. So uh, God's plan for tearing down strongholds in your life will rarely be conventional, but it will happen. And there are some steps you need to take in order to make it happen. The first step you need to take is you need heavenly help. You need heavenly help. The strongholds in your life the things that have taken root in your heart and in your soul and in your mind and in your body, the, the strongholds in your life are not going to come down without heavenly help. The walls that you have built around your heart and, about, uh, and around your, your mind and around your soul, those walls are not going to come down unless you have heavenly help. It, you are going into battle unprepared and unarmed if you don't have heavenly help. So what do I mean by heavenly help? You need the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit you need in order to, to tear down these strongholds in your life. And we'll talk about some different kinds of strongholds in just a second. But you need heavenly help. And the way you get the Holy Spirit is you got to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you need to believe in him, which means to have faith. you got to have faith in Jesus. you got to believe that he is the son of God and that he died for your sins. Uh, you need to repent from your sins. That means to turn away from sin and turn to, for, to, turn to God for forgiveness. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. You need to repent from your sinful ways. You need to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. To publicly acknowledge the fact that you believe. And you need to be baptized. In the book of Acts, Peter uh, preached a powerful sermon. And in Acts 2.38, he told the crowd, repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you, want, you need Jesus in your life. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. If you are going to win the battle, if the strongholds are going to come down, if the walls are going to come down, you need the Holy Spirit. You need heavenly help. The next step is you need to devote everything to the Lord. You need to devote everything to the Lord. So those different strongholds in your life, whatever they may be, 
Strongholds of sin, strongholds of addiction, strongholds of bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. We'll talk about those in just a second. But those strongholds in your life need to be completely devoted to the Lord. They need to be completely destroyed. You can't hold on to any part of it. In Joshua 7, we read about a man named Achan who kept some of the things that were supposed to be devoted to the Lord. He kept them and hid them in his tent. And if you read the next story in Joshua 7, you'll see what happened to Achan. You need to devote everything to the Lord. That means completely destroy everything that is opposed to God. You have to devote everything to the Lord. So what kinds of strongholds are we talking about? There's three different kinds of strongholds I want to talk about for just a couple minutes. The first is strongholds of addiction. There may be an addiction in your life that has taken hold in your heart or in your body or in your soul or in your mind. There may be an addiction that you are facing and you feel like you just can't have victory over it. It's a stronghold and there are walls built up and those walls will never come down. And it could be a stronghold of alcoholism. It could be a stronghold of drug addiction. It could be a stronghold of, of pornography or sex addiction. It could be a stronghold of work addiction. Any workaholics here? Yeah, I, I, this guy. Those strongholds of addiction. And, and workaholism, we don't talk about it very much, but it is an addiction. Because we're addicted to the, we're addicted to uh, the attaboy or the girl. We're addicted to the praise we get because we work so hard. And so whether you're addicted to drugs or alcohol or sex or pornography or work, whatever your addiction is, that needs to be devoted to the Lord. Those addictions have to be, uh, those walls of addiction have to come down. And, and that means you need to, A, you need to confess it to God. You need to confess that addiction to God first and say, Lord, there is a, a stronghold in my life of addiction, and I need to get past it. I need, I need these walls to come down. Uh, you need to not only confess it to God, but you need to confess it to someone else. You need to find somebody who will hold you accountable. You need to go and confess it to someone, and, and don't confess it to somebody who is not going to hold you accountable. And that's scary, and it's uncomfortable, but you need to go and confess it to someone who will hold you accountable, because... You know, it's easy to confess, uh, you know, uh, your alcohol addiction to your drinking buddy. They know. And they're not going to help you get out of it. You need to go to somebody. You need to go uh, to a friend or a pastor, uh, somebody who will hold you accountable and ask you, how are you doing with your addiction? Are you making progress with it? Is God tearing down those walls in your life? So strongholds of addiction need to be confessed to God and confessed to somebody else. You need somebody to hold you accountable. The second kind of addiction that we sometimes, or second kind of stronghold that we face in our lives is strongholds of bitterness and unforgiveness. Strongholds of bitterness and unforgiveness. And these, they, oh, this is hard, right? Because when somebody hurts you, and they hurt you, they cut you deep, they hurt you deep, it is so easy to hold on to the bitterness and the unforgiveness. And, but what happens is it makes you ugly, it's easy to build those walls up high and build those walls thick and say, no one's going to get in anymore. And I'm going to hold on to this bitterness. and I'm going to hold on to this resentment. I'm going to hold on to this unforgiveness. And I'm not going to forgive no matter what. I, God may forgive you, but I won't. You ever hear anybody say that? Have you ever said that? Some of you may have said that. You know, God may forgive you, but I won't. You got to let that go. You got to have a frozen moment and let it go. And it ain't easy. And I'm not going to tell you that it's easy. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, oh, no, no, just, just forgive them. I'm not going to tell you to do that. 
But God will. God says you need to forgive that person. You need to forgive those people. You need to let that go. And, and I'm not going to tell you that it doesn't mean that you don't build, uh, that you don't set up healthy boundaries. Because when somebody's hurt you 17 times in the same way, you may need to set up some healthy boundaries just to keep yourself from getting hurt again. But there's a difference between setting a healthy boundary and building a wall. Unforgiveness is hard, uh, is, is easy. Forgiving someone is hard. God wants you to tear down those walls of unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment and to forgive that person who's hurt you. Not just for their sake, but for yours. And, and I got news for you. The person that you can't forgive, they have no idea. None. They're bebopping through life like no big deal. And you are lying awake at night frustrated and angry and hurt and resentful and bitter and it's making you ugly and it's ruining your life and if you could just say i forgive you and, and forgiving doesn't mean that you excuse what they've done forgiving just says i'm not going to hold it against you anymore and it doesn't mean you're going to be best friends it just means that you're not going to hold it against them anymore say yeah i'm not going to hold this against you anymore i'm going to let it go and i'm like i said i'm not going to tell you that it's easy I'm not going to tell you you can't set up healthy boundaries, but there's a difference between healthy boundaries and a tall, thick wall. The last kind of stronghold that we face in our lives, just strongholds of general sin, strongholds of sin. And, and, and I'm not talking about like an addiction. I'm talking about just sins in our lives that you may feel like you're backsliding into old pat patterns and old behaviors. Uh, you may feel uh, like there are sins in your life, there are attitudinal sins. You know, those are the, some of the most deadly kinds of sins is our attitudes. Whether it's a prideful attitude that says, you know, I don't need a savior or I don't need a church or I don't need a group. You know, I'm going to do my own thing. That's a sin of pride. Uh, it may be a, a, a sin of, of condemnation where you look at other people or people groups and you say, you know what? Those people are going straight to hell. It's not your job to tell people that they're going to hell. It's your job to tell them how to get to heaven. It could be a sin of racism or prejudice. Sometimes our attitudes are, are, are racist and prejudiced. And those sins of racism and prejudice are, are repugnant to God. That God created us all. He created everybody. He made us all beautiful. Some of us more than others. Not me. Oh, no. You're like, don't worry. We know. Oh, oh, must be another Packers fan. Um, anyway, so, uh, but those sins, those sins in our lives, those attitudinal sins have got to go. Those strongholds of racism, prejudice, and condemnation have got to go. We got to tear down those walls. And so when God says move and when God says march, we've got to march. And like I said, God's plan may not be conventional but it will be successful when we obey. And when we obey God and he tears down those strongholds, God gives, the, God gives the victory so that God gets the glory. And then we experience true victory.